0: Me in all my oppressors. Ensure your servant's well-being. Let not the arrogant the arrogant oppressors. My eyes fail, looking for your salvation. Look for, looking for your righteous promise. Deal with your servant according to your love, and teach me your decrees. I am your servant. Give me discernment. I may understand your statutes. It is time for you to act, O oh Lord. Law is being broken. Because I love your commands more than gold, more than pure gold, because I consider all your precepts right. I hate every
1: wrong path. I hate every wrong path. Okay, we got a couple prayer requests. Let's see here. Doe, Doug's wife in Ireland, is going to Dublin for some medical screenings. That's all. I can just ask for prayers on that. And Miss Magnuson was in the Pines after getting out of the hospital, and she had congenital heart failure. And so she went right back to the hospital last weekend, and she's been in there. Uh, She uh, is supposed to get out of the hospital and go to another aftercare facility either tomorrow or the next day. And so uh, hopefully she'll be strong enough for that. And they are watching online and they send their love to everybody. So please know that uh, they're thinking about you, even though she just cannot seem to get out of this cycle she's in and then we have um george here if anybody has a place for george to rent if you know somebody that has a place for him to rent he's still looking for a place and uh he's got a couple more weeks to make up his mind on this so if you know somebody in sarah that all he needs is just a room if you have a room he needs a place and then we have graham in scotland says he's got some family problems coming up that need Prayer, but without getting specific on any of them he just would appreciate prayer there and then Charlie miss does the gray shirts as uh, she checked herself back into the hospital because she thought she was having another stroke so we want to have her in prayer so those are some of the prayer requests that I wrote down and uh, we'll go ahead and pray about that first Heavenly Father we thank you so much for the chance to come into your presence and to be here for this study and to fellowship with other believers. And we certainly pray for these people that uh, are mentioned and the other ones that aren't mentioned. You know who they are, Lord, people with all kinds of issues going on. we got one brother that's having difficulty breathing that uh, we would pray that you would be with him and open up his lungs and give him strength on that that aspect. And Lord, uh, we just it's a troubling world that we're living in, and it sure would be nice for you to come and take your people out, but we, we can't expect that, so we have to live within the uh, confines of our bodies and of our troubles, and so be with us through our troubles, Lord. And help us to uh, overcome them if it's your will, and to endure them with grace if it's not, that you would just be with us and help us to do that. And Lord, we thank you. We just thank you for the chance to be here, and we we love you. We, you're so very good to us, Lord God. We love you and we praise you. And we do so in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, today is the sixth. it's D-Day, six of June. 75 years ago today, a lot of young men lost their lives in the service of our nation. So we wanna remember uh, the people that went before us that have given us the freedoms we have and changed the dynamics of the whole world which we would hope it's for good. There were some bad players that would have done great damage to the world, and they're just kind of a little picture of what's coming in the future. So just have to be ever vigilant. But for right now, we're grateful for the freedoms we have for the people that gave their lives. Okay, June 6th in Christian history the seeds of evangelism bear fruit in God's time, not man's. Pioneer missionary Adoniram Judson graduated from Brown U- University as. valedictorian at the age of 19 and in 1810 graduated in the first class of andover theological seminary he and his wife journeyed from america to burma now myanmar arriving in 1813 shortly thereafter they were joined by two other missionaries however after six years of labor not one burmese had trusted christ then on june 6 1819 judson received a letter from mong Nao. A Burmese man who had shown great interest in the gospel, but up to this point had not acted on it. The letter read, i mong now the constant recipient of your excellent favor approach your feet. Whereas my Lord three, uh, i.e. three missionaries come to the country of Burma, not for the purposes of trade, but to preach the religion of Jesus Christ, the son of the eternal God. I, having heard and understood, am with a joyful mind filled with love. I believe that the divine Son, Jesus Christ, suffered death in the place of men to atone for their sins. Like a heavy laden man, I feel my sins are very many. The punishment of my sins I deserve to suffer. Since it is so, do you, sirs, consider that I, taking refuge in the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ and receiving baptism, in order to become his disciple, shall dwell one with yourselves, a band of brothers, in the happiness of heaven and therefore grant me the ordinance of baptism it is through the grace of jesus christ that you sirs have come by ship from one country and continent to another then that we have met together i pray the lord's three that a suitable day may be appointed that i may receive the ordinance of baptism moreover as it is only since i have met with you sirs that i have known about the eternal god I venture to pray that you will still unfold to me the religion of God that my old disposition may be destroyed and my new disposition improved. Three weeks later, Mong now was baptized and the barrier of unbelief was broken. What enabled Adoniram Judson to faithfully labor so many years before seeing any fruit? We can see evidence of his motivation in the following lines, which he penciled on the inner cover of a book he used in his translation of the Bible into Burmese. In joy or in pain, our course beyondward still, we see on Burma's barren plain, we reap on Zion's Hill. Today, there are more than 2 million believers in Myanmar, and 40% of the current people to whom Adoniram Judson directed his ministry are now Christians. How do you think it would feel to be a missionary for six years and have no converts? It's easy to be discouraged when we do not see immediate results like Adoniram Judson, we need to see the big picture. We must remember that sowing is our responsibility, the results are God's. And 1 Corinthians 3:6 says, "My job was to plant the seed in your hearts and Apollos watered watered it, but it was God not we who made it grow."
2: And the, I've met many of those Christians who came as refugees in 2015 to yep. America. Yeah. And godly, wonderful sweet
1: Believers. Yeah. Well, we had one in here on church on Sunday, and uh, she uh, she was it this Sunday or last Sunday she was here the last Sunday before that, and uh, sh- they she says they still read his translation of the Bible. It's the only one they use for their Christian uh, work. So that's pretty, enough, that's pretty I amazing. I saw a
0: thing on him, this fellow you just read about. Yep. On Facebook the other day. It was just like out of the blue. Out like, of the blue. Know, and uh you know he left dejected he was like okay sure that was a
1: waste of time not a waste of time he's got two million active people following him right now or following what he started right now so okay we're in 1 corinthians 10 verse 5 yes
2: i always heard his name pronounced ed and i
1: i don't know i i don't know that would be that would be the incorrect because there is no i in hebrew it's e like uh but anyway yeah. The end, the our of, our Englishization of it would probably be, as you said, toward the so, end
2: there. It, it almost sounded like that he was Church of Christ there. That, that he received you know, peace or forgiveness when he, when he was baptized. Yeah. That,
1: well, no. Well, that's yeah. That's that's not it. Obviously, you don't need to be baptized to be saved. You're just being obedient to the Lord's command. But yeah, it kind of sounded like that. But that's just excerpts, So I don't know the the whole story. But anyway, we're in one Corinthians ten verse five.
0: Nevertheless god was not pleased with the most of them with most of them their bodies were scattered over
1: the desert okay this is speaking of the folks in the wilderness wanderings which we've been going through for quite a while which ended last week i mean the wilderness wanderings ended when the last of the miscreants died and a new generation took forth last sunday and so wonderful stuff there i mean it's amazing how everything from chapter 13 and 14 has just followed the dispensational model which here we're talking about that okay ten five. despite the israelites having all of the privileges which paul mentioned in the preceding verses baptism in the cloud and the sea the spiritual food and the spiritual rock he shows that it didn't profit them at all in their spiritual lives we would say it didn't profit them didly. he leads into this with the word but despite all of the proofs and all of the physical demonstrations of god's presence among them instead of having faith that he would see their redemption through to a good end they failed to trust what god looks for is faith in him and his promises what he got was rebellion and a stubborn stiff-necked attitude and because of this with most of them it says god was not well pleased because they lacked faith in him and his provision He rewarded them with what they accused him of. Time and again, the Israelites complained and accused the Lord of wrongdoing. And one example is found, as I was just saying, Numbers chapter 14. It says there, this this was really the beginning of their downfall was Numbers 14. I mean, the spies went in in Numbers 13. But in Numbers 14, it said, well, we'll start in verse 1. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night and all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt or if we had died in the wilderness, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. And they did that and, uh, Caused them all kinds of grief. Let's see, after this, Moses petitioned the Lord to pardon the people, but there would be a penalty for their lack of faith. This is recorded later in the chapter of Numbers in these verses here, which say, Then the Lord said, I have pardoned, but according to your according to your word, but truly as I live, all all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness have put me to the test now these ten times, and have not heeded my voice, they certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him, because uh, in him and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit it. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valley. Tomorrow turn and move out into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. So if you remember what we talked about in those verses, it's really astonishing the pictures that that come out of those, which pertain to our modern world. Actually, the beginning of uh, Israel's turning away and all the way until our modern times. The Israelites would receive the punishment that they deserved because of their lack of faith, their bodies in the wilderness. This was the very thing that they had said would happen and so their words were used as a witness against them. (coughs) Despite this, though, there was grace in the sentence. Instead of being snuffed out immediately, they would be allowed to live out their lives and raise their children until they were old enough to assume the responsibility of going into Canaan. This is detailed later in the same chapter. In Numbers 14, again, we read this. It says, But your little ones... Whom you said would be victims, I will bring in, and they shall know the land which you have despised. But as for you, your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness, and your sons shall be shepherds in the wilderness forty years, and bear the brunt of your infidelity until your carcasses are consumed in the wilderness. According to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, forty days, for each day you shall bear your guilt one year, namely forty years, and you shall know my rejection i the lord have spoken this i will surely do so to all this evil congregation who are gathered together against me in this wilderness they shall be consumed and there they shall die so if you remember this is the same pattern that was followed by ezekiel where he was told to lay on chapter 4 of ezekiel he was told to lay on his side for 40 days the punishment of judah and 390 days the punishment of israel total of 430 days and what did that do that equated out to a year or a day that Israel was under punishment but then it said in um, uh, Leviticus 26 if you don't listen the first time I will punish you for your sins seven times over well God took off the 70 years from Babylon which left another uh, 490 minus 70 is uh, uh, wait no 430 minus 70 was 300 and uh, Uh, 360 thank you and then from there you take that and you comes out to 2520 years and that brought them right up to the modern times right in 1948 that punishment ended and then for uh jerusalem which fell 19 years after israel june 9 june 7 1967 uh jerusalem was recaptured so god Was using that as a sign to the people, a day for a year. And then one other time he does that in the Bible. Where is that? Where a day for a year? Yeah,
0: a thousand years is as a day. Well,
1: no, I'm thinking of a, a, a pattern where he uses that. A day for a year is the sign of Jonah. People say the sign of Jonah is three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. That is incorrect. That is not the sign of Jonah. The sign of Jonah is the preaching of Jonah. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. That's made explicit in the book of Luke okay it's hard to tell from the book of matthew but when you read the book of luke he explicitly says that the preaching is the sign so it's 40 days and nineveh will be destroyed jesus began his ministry 40 years later they didn't pay heed, and they were destroyed in ad 70 so there you go that is the sign of jonah if you have never heard that before it is the correct interpretation need to get
0: the um, first one about uh, laying on each side
1: I did that on prophecy update. I think it's number one eighty-eight. It might be number eighty-eight. Anyway, it's I've got it. So if you want to see it, just send me an email and I'll send you the, the link. But it's all there. It comes out two thousand five hundred twenty years, which times three hundred sixty days in a um, prophetic year comes out to nine hundred seven thousand two hundred days. So it's nine hundred, and you can take it and just figure it out. It comes right out to fourteen May of nineteen forty-eight and seven June of nineteen sixty-seven. Comes has out perfectly. To do
0: with the calendar. You have huh? a different
1: calendar. no no it, you can't fudge it it's it's uh, what you're doing is you're using the prophetic calendar which is a 360 day year if you use anything else it'll come out wrong but yeah I've got one of my old updates and I do it on the board here so I'll, I'll send you the link anyway so those are some of the times that we see that 40 days a day for a year for Israel 40 days a day for a year for uh, the sign of Jonah and then the same thing with a day for a year in Ezekiel 4 but, uh, and there may be one other, but I don't think so. I think those are the three that are in Scripture. But um, let's see here. In the end, only two of the 603,550 registered males, excluding Levites because they were registered, but they were registered separately, who were of fighting age were permitted the honor of entering the promised land, figuring in the women, well over a million people, would die as they wandered through the wilderness. Such was the pride for lacking faith and rebelling against the lord life application here god asks for faith in his faithless creatures and so a little bit will do he asks us to trust him even when times seem out of control i can tell you that miss magnuson she is always talking about the lord even when she is laying there and she's feeling miserable she's saying how good god is so and i just uh got an email from sergio just before we started he's uh visiting his grandmother right now i won't say where but they're they're uh, doing some visiting and he said his grandmother is just the same way always just bringing up the Lord again and again and again so they're they're in difficult times difficult circumstances and yet these people are showing faith Um, if we truly believe that he will fulfill his promises we will continue to trust him and to praise him each step of the way with this he will be well pleased That's all that we can give God. You say, I love God, right? A lot of people say they love God, but which God? All right, so you have to have faith in who the real God is. So when you think about it, everything comes down to faith, everything that is based on rewards. If you say, I love God, and it's a different God, hey, you're not getting a reward for that. You have to have faith in the true God, then your love will be applied. So it goes with Everything that you do, if you give money to a church, if you uh, help somebody across the street and you're not doing it in faith that you're pleasing to the Lord, no reward for you. That's just the way it is. Just think of the uh, soup Nazi on Seinfeld. Well, no reward. For, yeah, no soup for you. No reward for you. That's it. Okay, ten six. Now, these
0: things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things they did
1: all right a little different with this one now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted says the same thing just a little uh more forceful with this this one okay now these things is speaking of those with whom god was not well pleased they had seen the miracles and had been sustained by god's gracious hand and yet they rebelled in various ways which paul will explain in the verses ahead Because of their rebellion, he noted in the previous verse that their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. It is all of this that he is referring to as examples. The word translated as examples is the Greek word typoi. It could be referring to either pictures of Christ and thus be translated as types or foreshadowing events or it could be translated as examples and thus be referring to the scattering of the bodies based on rebellion. As he hasn't yet explained the examples which caused the deaths, some scholars insist that it is speaking of the pictures of Christ. However, because he just mentioned the deaths of the people and he will continue to explain that, others insist that this is what he's referring to, the word typoi or T-Y-P-O-I. You can see it's the basis of our word type. That's right. Okay, there's no reason to assume that he isn't speaking of the entire process though. The types of Christ and their subsequent rejection led to the deaths of the people. And this is exactly what's going on as we've seen in all of our number sermons. Some things picture Christ, some things picture what happens to Israel because of their acceptance or rejection of Christ. Everything is type and shadow, everything. There's not a word that we have gone through in these number sermons that don't, or in the Genesis or Exodus or Leviticus sermons. All of it keeps showing us type yeah it just keeps showing us christ now right either way paul's continued statement in this verse is that we should learn that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted if we have been redeemed by christ then we should follow christ trust christ and fix our eyes on christ it makes no sense to call on christ and then to ignore the very salvation that he has provided Life application the Old Testament is often overlooked by many Christians, and yet it is not just Christians. I mean, pastors never read it. It's it's just overlooked, period, Uh, except maybe the Psalms. You know, I'm having a bad day. I think I'll read one of the Psalms, and that might be their whole uh, experience in the Old Testament. But um, uh, And yet it has been given to show us the logical progression of redemptive history, as God slowly reveals himself and his plans to the people of the world. The Old Testament allows us to know where we have been, where we are going, and the pitfalls to avoid in our walk. So read your Old Testament. Know your Old Testament. I am very, very close to being done with my second time through the audio Bible. And that's, you know, like I said, I I drive very little, and it'll be... Two times in less than a year because I started August last year and I'll probably be done this month. Maybe. Yeah, I'll definitely be done this month. So you got a couple times a year. You're just driving around doing that. And I can't wait to get back in the Old Testament because I'm in the new and I just I'm excited because I'm seeing things in the new that. Are revealed in the old and so every time and when I do my daily reading I'm in one book in the morning I'm in one book in the afternoon they're in different parts of the Bible and I'm always excited about getting done with that and getting back to where I was because it's just it's a never-ending cycle of fun but um, uh, it's just the way it is I mean read your Bible know your, your Bible mom, love your Bible did I what
0: did you have uh, 50
1: talking- no not yet
0: I need to go back and listen specifically to that.
1: I have many times, and I'll continue to do that. 10 7.
0: 10 7 of it. Is. Cannot <laughs> be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry.
1: Okay, mine says rose up to play. All right, ten seven. In the previous verse, Paul spoke of lusting after evil things. Continuing on, he next warns against becoming idolaters as some of them were, as were some of them. The very people who had been redeemed from the bondage of Egypt and who had seen the marvelous works of the Lord fell into idolatry. Think of it. You're brought through the Red Sea. You see the wall of water on either side. You see the Egyptians destroyed. A couple days later, you're complaining and you do this for a whole year. You see the Lord give the Ten Commandments. Up on top of Mount Sinai, you see the consequences of disobeying the Lord. It just goes on and on. They saw these things, and yet they rebel against the Lord. Rather than honoring the Creator, they worshipped before the created. This account is found in Exodus chapter 32. Here's what it says there, which you probably already know when I'm going to read you. But <laughs> Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him come make us gods that we that shall go before us for as for this moses the man who brought us up out of the land of egypt we do not know what has become of him and aaron said to them break off the golden earrings which are in your, the ears of your wives your sons and your daughters and bring them to me so all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to aaron and he received the gold from their hand and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf then they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And when it says a feast to the Lord, there it is Jehovah. They're having a feast to Jehovah with a golden altar that they made when they had just gotten the Ten Commandments like five seconds earlier. Insane. Paul citing this account and saying, as it is written, is intended to show that it was specifically recorded for our learning and our instruction the people failed to conduct themselves in a manner which was in accord with the glory of the lord which they had beheld a question could be asked then is what was wrong about the people sitting down and eating and drinking and rising up to play the answer is not that the actions were specifically wrong but the context of their actions was They directed them towards the golden calf and not towards the lord people need to sit down people need to eat and drink and people uh, the bible shows that properly directed worship can be brought to a very emotional state a great example of this last category is found in anybody know what i'm thinking of 2 samuel chapter 6 david danced and leapt before the lord as the ark of the covenant was brought into the city of david his wife michal Didn't approve of his conduct and rebuked him. His response is found in 2 Samuel chapter 6, where he says, 2 Samuel chapter 6, he says to her after she got down on him, so David said to me, call, it was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord and I will even be more un dignified than this and will be humbled in my own sight but as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken by them I will be held in honor this verse which Paul is citing cannot be used as a reason to forbid dancing there are churches that do forbid dancing and they use verses like this one to justify that stand however this is not the intent of what Paul is saying here Rather, that is a manipulation of scripture which cannot be justified. Legalism is poison. If you're in a church, if you're attending a church which is legalistic and says, don't do this and don't do that, and it's not in the Bible, you need to leave that church just as quickly as you need to leave a church that says, we don't have to do this when the Bible says you do, or say, we need to do this when the Bible says we we don't. You know, We can't do this, I should say. Get out churches like that. If people are not willing to honor the word of the Lord, then where does it end? It doesn't matter what precept you have in scripture that you say, we were listening to somebody last night talking about this, George and I, and uh, it doesn't matter what verse you take out of the Bible and say, well, this one doesn't apply. As soon as you do that, and I've said this a hundred times in this class, you become the arbiter of scripture. You become the judge over God's word. It doesn't matter which verse you pick. I don't care which one, You are now in the place of God. That's a really scary place to be. Don't add to the word of God. Don't tell people that they can't dance. Don't people tell people that they have to do this and that when the Bible does not prescribe it. And there are certain things we're going to get to, especially in the book of 1 Corinthians, that Paul says to do, and they're misunderstood. You know, women have to wear bonnets in church. Where does that come from? It doesn't come from the Bible, even though people seem to think that's what it says in that particular passage. We'll be there soon enough. Okay. Life application, there is nothing wrong with rejoicing and praising before the Lord. There are abundant examples given in Scripture which show people praising the Lord with their voices and in dancing. If our hearts and souls are directed toward the Lord, then we are given the freedom to jump and shout praises to him or beat on drums as we praise him. Surely the Lord is worthy of our praise. One of the words in the book of Revelation is the basis for the word guitar that we use today. People say you shouldn't be wearing, using a guitar in church. Hey, read your Bible.
0: 10-8. You should not commit sexual immorality of some, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000
1: stopped. Wow, huh? 23,000. That sermon, I just typed that uh, two weeks ago, three, three weeks ago. Anyway, it's coming soon to a sermon near you. 10-8. Paul is quite clear here. As he is throughout his writings, that sexual immorality is unacceptable, and this isn't just Paul, but it is a precept which permeates Scripture, even to the very last page of the Bible. So much for this "love wins." Jesus would be at an LGBT parade and all that kind of stuff. I don't think so. Revelation 22:15 says that the sexually immoral will be excluded from entrance into the gates of the New Jerusalem. There, they are lumped together with dogs, those who are unclean and who would go after their own vomit, people who practice magic arts, murderers, idolaters, and those who love and practice falsehood. In other words, sexual immorality is not an acceptable part of a Christian's walk. In today's world, this seems almost foreign to us. Even churches allow the most sexually depraved of people to participate in their services and excuse it by saying that god would want them to be happy happiness is irrelevant what matters is obedience to the lord as an example of this paul goes back to the account of the Baal of peor in numbers 25 verses 1 through 9 there it says the lord's anger burned against them it was an incident that they were reminded of later in numbers and then in deuteronomy before entering into canaan They will continue to be reminded of it in the books of Joshua, the Psalms, and Hosea. Likewise, Paul reaches back to it. There's one more place in the New Testament where it's referred to. Anybody? Begins with an R and ends with Evelation. The book of, yes, the book of Revelation. Very good. Um, And Hosea. Likewise, Paul reaches back to show the severity of the judgment for what occurred. He says that in one day, 23,000 of them died. It was a huge price to pay for the faithless actions of the people. As a note concerning this, Numbers 25.9 places the number at 24,000 instead of 23,000. There have been several suggestions as to how the numbers can be reconciled. It is possible that 23,000 were killed by the plague, which resulted in And the other 1,000 were killed by those who defended the Lord's honor by using the sword against their own countrymen. This will all be recapped in the sermon. So if you're going to watch the sermon, you can take a break for the next two minutes. Um, And another view is that the number could have been a round number. If there were 23,600, then it could have been rounded up or down, as we see happen all the way through the Bible. Another explanation is that 23,000 fell in one day, as Paul says, and the other 1,000 died the next day. Okay. The most probable is that paul was referring to those killed by the plague only and not those killed by the sword thus showing the severity of the lord's judgment if this is the case then it was a tradition handed down in the society and not something specifically recorded in scripture the main issue though is in regards to sexual immorality it is considered unacceptable and the lord will judge those who violate this precept life application the lord intends for those who engage in sex to be married yes a male to a female any other sexual contact is considered immoral Lord you have granted man that he can take a wife someone to share their walk together all of their days you would have them to remain together till the end of life living in holiness and bring you honor and praise help us in our weakness to be stout and strong to be faithful to one another as the years go past Yes, Lord, help us in this all our life long to be obedient to you until you call you call us home at last. Ten nine.
0: We should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes.
1: Wasn't that a great sermon, man? I'm telling you what that was. I, I'm not talking about my sermon. I'm talking about the contents of it. Right. I'm not. Please don't. When I say something like that, I'm not referring to. My eloquence, by any stretch of the imagination, I'm talking about what God had in His Word. You
0: can tell who was terrified of snakes. Uh, right
1: absolutely. Linda was like. Linda was freaked, that's my question: What is she doing tonight? Is she okay?
0: Taking
1: her out or something? No, is, is she all right?
0: She uh, she had a horrible night's sleep last night. Oh. No I hate that
1: when that happens. Yeah.
0: So she just said, "You
1: know what? I'm going to." I'm not. She's skipping class because she's oh, taking okay, it out on us.
0: She's
2: listening
1: snakes. Hi, Linda. She, he says you're listening, so we'll wave to you right now. Okay, the words in this verse continue to refer to the wilderness wanderings of the Old Testament between the Exodus and the arrival of the Israelites in Canaan. During that time, this is recorded in Numbers 21. Okay, we're still in Numbers 21 right now. We'll be finishing that this week. But what, what a chapter of Scripture. I'm telling you what, these past two sermons... The information in there is literally astonishing. I just it, it makes my heart just sing, thinking about what the Lord tucked away in there. Then they journeyed from Mount Hor, by the way of the Red Sea, to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. We explained why that was. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Repeating the faithless words of their faithless fathers. For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Wow, what a passage. Oh, God had time and again provided for the people and demonstrated his care of them. He sent the angel of the Lord before them to lead the way and to ensure their care. However, the people spoke against God and against Moses. In this, they were showing a willful disregard of God's care for them. Paul's words, though, tie this account to Christ. Nor let us tempt Christ. It is another implicit reference to the deity of Jesus. His presence was there with Israel in the wilderness. If this was Jehovah as it says it was, and yet Paul now identifies him as Christ as he does, then the connection is obvious. Jesus is Jehovah incarnate. How people like the JWs can't get this, I don't know. They're reading the same book, and it's just like they have the same blinders as the Jews over their eyes about who Jesus is. Once again, George and I last night were watching. I you know, I, I watch it from time to time because I need to remind myself, but uh, it's the forbidden passage of Scripture, Isaiah 53. And it's the, the Jewish guy in Israel. He goes out and he talks to Jews on the street, and he reads them Isaiah 53. And he says, you know, this is Isaiah 700 years before the coming of Jesus. And he says, it says in Daniel 9 that this had to be fulfilled before the destruction of the second temple. And they are listening. Some of them are very, very interested. And then he gets to the part that, guess what? The Gentiles have believed this now for 2,000 years, and you can watch their faces completely closed down. They don't want to hear that word. It's just like we saw in the book of Acts when Paul was speaking. I'm sending you far off to the Gentiles, and the people went crazy, throwing sand up in the air, pulling out their hair, and tearing their garments. As soon as they hear that God would have salvation go to the Gentiles in any way, in any way, shape, or form. But there were there was one guy that seemed to respond very positively, but most of them did not want to hear it. They listened. They were like, wow, that's amazing. And then you bring in the fact that the Gentiles believe this message, and they just, you can see their faces tense, or they look away, or whatever. They just. Like my dinner, Your dinner. My oh, boy, I bet. Oh yeah you get that you know it just they don't want to hear that they are not the chosen people and as Jim they said are. wisely chosen for what if you're the chosen people what are you chosen for give us an answer and they are the chosen people but they can't give an answer because the answer is Messiah that's why they were chosen is to usher in the Messiah and to have him return to them but they've missed the entire point of who he is so it's very sad it breaks my heart last prayer every night is for Israel anyway um he demonstrated that. Paul's Paul uses two different words here for tempt. The first is eper ep, ekperazomen. It is an important compound which means to tempt out. In other words, to try to the utmost. It is used only three other times in the Bible: in Matthew 4 7, Luke 4:12, and Luke 10 25. Each of these was a tempting related to Christ. Twice it is quoted by Jesus during Satan's tempting of him and once by a lawyer of the law. To tempt when applied to man involves inducing him to sin. When it is applied to God, it carries a different signification, that of trying his patience and provoking him to anger. This is what is being conveyed here by Paul. The people tried the angel of the Lord's, meaning Christ's patience, and suffered the consequences of their attitudes. We are instructed to not so tempt the Lord's patience now, He is the same Lord, eternal and unchanging. Our rebellion can only be met with his hand of discipline. Now, as I've said in the past, before I go on, Israel is used as a type of individual salvation. There's individual Israel. There's corporate Israel. I'm not talking about individual Israelis. They can be saved and they can be lost. Not all Jews are saved. That's obvious. Okay. But Israel, God will never reject Israel. He has made a... Promised to them. He has made a covenant with them. That is exactly what God has done in Christ in the new covenant. If we come to Christ in faith, we are saved. God will no more give up on us and our salvation than He will give up on Israel. If you believe that you can lose your salvation, okay, if you're a Wesleyan Arminianist, as lots of people are in this world, they believe you can lose your salvation, you are completely deluded. You have completely misunderstood the grace of Jesus Christ and I don't understand how anybody can come to that conclusion because Israel is a picture of what God is going to do in the New Covenant yes individual Jews are lost but Israel will never be rejected yes
0: not only that but you have to be the most miserable of Christians
1: I'm telling you
2: Every day miserable you get up am I saved am I saved
1: did I, I lose my Everything salvation repent again. yeah or you got to check with your pastor he's the guy that'll let you know <laughs> yeah. you know it's bondage that's all it is that's all that somebody would teach you you can lose your salvation or you would believe that is because you want to be in bondage that's that's the only reason why somebody wants to be under the law wants to be in bondage because anybody that would hold one of those attitudes, one doesn't understand grace and they want to be in bondage. Yes. Same thing with the Catholic Church. Same thing with the Catholic Church. Exactly. That's exactly right. They. So yeah, it's all works. Everything. The Catholic Church is plus it's Jesus plus Mary it's grace plus works it's this plus that everything that they do has a plus to it everything there's nothing that you will find doctrine wise in the Catholic Church that does not have a plus on it it's all about works it's all about adding something on to what God has done yes yeah the church above God yeah it's a church above God it's the Bible plus the edicts of the church everything is plus. He yeah, said, if that's you don't right belong to the church, you can't be saved. that's right, that's exactly what Mel Gibson believes, okay, so life application the warnings of the New Testament aren't given for us to ignore. How often do we hear Christian friends around us complain about how their life is going, and yet we see that they have not been faithfully following the Lord. Should discipline be unexpected in such a case? Of course not. Our acts of disobedience will suffer consequences. consequences. Let us learn from those times and resolve in our hearts to be obedient to the Word of God. And if you have tough times when you're obedient, you'll understand, as Miss Magnuson does, that that is the Lord's choice. He is sovereign. But if you've got problems and you're not being obedient to the Lord, that's your fault through and through. That's not just the Lord's will for you. That is your fault through and through. You deserve everything you get and more. Be obedient to the Word. Read the Word, learn it, and apply it to your life. Ten, ten.
0: And did not grumble as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying by, angel.
1: By the destroying angel, this one calls it the destroyer. The word Paul word used by Paul for complain is the Greek word goguzo. It means to whisper, murmur, or grumble. He's asking his readers not to engage in this type of activity. I got something down in there that won't go away. Don't get me water. That won't take care of it. Which they clearly had been as they divided into factions. Rather than building up one another up, factions that arise inevitably work to tear one another down. In the case of those in the wilderness, there were complaints against Moses because he was the one chosen by God to lead them. It was an indirect complaint against the Lord. This is evident because they were destroyed by the destroyer. We've seen this in sermon after sermon. A complaint against Moses is a complaint against the Lord. There is no one incident which involved this complaining, but a series of complaints which seemed to arise any time that things got a little bit tough. Instead of seeing the tough times as a chance for God to reveal His glory, they saw them as a chance to complain. When they did, the destroyer would reveal God's glory in another way. The, this destroyer is certainly the same one who killed the first Passover at the firstborn at the Passover, and who continued to destroy pockets of resistance throughout their time of wilderness wanderings. He further brought destruction to Israel and against Israel's enemies after they entered Canaan. This is recorded time and time again throughout the Bible. Paul's words show that this hard and unrepentant attitude against God is not just some Old Testament concept, but something that we need to watch out for as well. Were it not so, he would not have included the words here in 1 Corinthians. His words in the next verse will, in fact, confirm this. Life application, there is a difference between idle grumbling and calling out erroneous doctrine. Just because we don't particularly like a precept from the Bible or a teacher of the Bible, this is no excuse for grumbling against them. However, if someone is actively teaching a falsehood, they need to be called out for it. Too often, followers of an unsound Bible teacher will accuse his detractors of attempting to divide Christ. You see that all the time on social media. uh, This terminology is used to get the detractors to remain quiet as if they have done something wrong when the opposite is actually true the teacher of false doctrine is the divider of christ never be afraid to uphold the purity of god's word above all else the bible is precious and altogether pure it gives us guidance for our daily walk and so on its precepts i remain confident and sure and of its doctrines i will constantly talk when someone teaches it in a way which is not right i know it is my duty to ensure their error is noted it is too precious to be treated with contempt or spite, and it should never be mishandled or misquoted. It is our guide in the book, which is given to instruct us. It is the wonderful gift of God revealed to reveal his heart in Jesus. Verse 11.
0: These things happen to them.
1: Go ahead, Bert. Acts 9. Yes.
2: Paul was persecuting the Christians. Jesus confronted him and says
1: why
2: are you yeah why are you persecuting me, me? that's right so to it,
1: come against the word to come against believers yeah. that are faithful you're coming against Christ right. that's exactly right and so the people that are mishandling God's word are doing the same thing as well they need to be called out that yeah. good point there go ahead
0: these things happen to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on who the fulfillment of the ages has come.
1: Okay, very similar there. Now, all these things is referring to the examples that Paul has cited from verse verses 1 through 10. But it is also certainly referring to all of the body of Scripture, which comprises the age of the law. God chose examples from the life of Joshua and Samson and David and others, as well as from the time during the captivity with Esther and Mordecai, from the post exilic times with Nehemiah and Ezra, And so many more examples for our learning and instruction. Charles Ellicott notes that the verb happened is plural, referring to the multiple occurrences which the apostle had just mentioned, but written is singular, referring to the sacred record in which the historical facts are handed down. This is the Bible, it's singular, but within it there are multiple occurrences of what Paul would be referring to. The lessons to be found in the Old Testament serve as examples for our instruction and edification. And they were written for, as Paul says, our admonition. We are to read them and learn from them, not simply ignore the Old Testament, nor to read it as a mere curiosity of times gone by. God selectively chose these stories to teach us. It needs to be understood, though, that this was not the sole purpose of why these things happened to them, Paul's words. Rather, they literally happened to the people as they lived out their own lives. A zillion other things happened to them as well, but these were selectively chosen for our learning. Therefore, there is the reality that God used the events of real people's lives to assist later people in how to conduct their own lives. The word happened in this verse is in the imperfect tense to show the slow and successive unfolding of these events in history in order to reveal exactly what God determined we should know. And there is another unstated reason for these selected moments. They are given to reveal Christ. Paul alluded to that earlier, and Jesus says it explicitly in John 5, 39. You search the scriptures and they are which speak of me, right? That's the whole point of the Bible It's to teach us lessons. It's to show us Christ. It's to give us moral understanding. And it's also written as a history lesson. It is a history lesson for us to accept and to believe. This is what that guy was talking about last night. In particular, I always talk about a different issue when I say I don't like this verse in the Bible. But he brought up, are you going to believe Genesis 1 and 2? Because it says what it says in Genesis 1 and 2. And if you are going to say, well, I don't believe in a short-term creation. I believe in evolution or I believe in, you know, billions of years. of," Then you are the arbiter of God's word. And that's exactly what it is he said this we are to accept it we're not to try to fudge this thing and this i was thinking about what you asked about a week or so ago tom about the recreation some of you have heard of recreation where god created the world it was there for satan and the, the angels and they fell and so god destroyed the world and recreated. it they got this whole narrative between genesis 1 1 and 1 2 or is it 1 2 and 1 3 anyway it's called the recreation theory and That is not biblical. That is a completely unbiblical premise. Okay. One, it's not in the Bible. Everything that is there is inserted into those verses. It's something that people will do. And why did that come about? Does anybody know? Don't say it because I talked to Tom about this last Sunday or uh, Saturday. But does anybody know why the recreation theory came about? That
0: was to defend against the
1: short-term creation right that's exactly it was to defend against short-term creation this guy back in the 1800s came up with this theory of recreation because he didn't want to look stupid around the Darwin evolutionists and so he said well we know that the universe is billions of years old it's been proven and so we have to come up with some story to justify this and he came up with this I think it was a Presbyterian minister anyway don't believe it if you believe that please don't email me about it with your proof okay there is none. it is not good handling of Scripture okay just trust me on this all right lastly Paul notes that these things occurred when and were then recorded and given to us as he says upon whom the ends of the ages have come this phrase shows us that the church age is the last age before the end times will be ushered in the previous dispensations were leading to Christ Christ has been revealed and now that he has been revealed We are living in his age of grace. Everything has worked in the past to bring us to this point in history, after which will come the tribulation period. Paul goes to great lengths in the book of 2 Thessalonians to show us that this is true, and also to prove that pre-tribulation rapture is correct. It's right there in the book of 2 Thessalonians. If you can't figure it out, email me. I'll send you the link to the prophecy update I did on the timing of the rapture, or I'll send you the notes. It's quite obvious, the timing of the rapture. The sequence of events, then, is one, the rapture, which ends the church age. Two, the tribulation period where the world will be judged for rejecting the grace of Christ. And three, the millennial reign of Christ. The fact that the church age has lasted 2,000 years shows us the great harvest, which has been ongoing during all of that time. When it ends, the world will be ripe for judgment. Why? because they have rejected the very words that we are now looking at examples for our learning and our admonition life application don't just pick up the bible and flip through the pages for something curious to read rather pick it up and read it with fervent desire to know christ and to learn from the past speak loud so they can hear you but you are going to like
2: this but i'm going to say go ahead i like how you say look for christ in all the old testament scriptures he's in he's in all the things
1: He said. Okay.
2: the two on the road to emmaus right when jesus talked to them, he said he began at the the moses and the prophets right. and in all the scriptures concerning himself so, that's so right. that proves your your teaching is right okay look for christ in all the scriptures he said, he, he tended
1: it right there. I'm he says it right there. So why wouldn't I like that?
2: I don't know. Sometimes you don't like to be praised, but
1: I think. Oh, I say, Yeah, no, yeah, no. Well, <laughs> as long as in, it's in line with the word, I'll take it. Okay. Yeah, I thought you were saying you were going to say something which you disagreed on, and I was getting ready to tear into you, but apparently I don't have to. Thank you, Burke. That was very nice of you. Yes, that is. The road to Amazus shows us exactly that. He said it in John five thirty nine, and he said it to the two people everything starting with moses yeah. moses is the first five books of the bible every single word of those first five books of the bible points to jesus all of it okay good good job 10 12.
0: um it was chuckling I wasn't creating you said i got a text from linda saying i'm waving back oh
1: linda's waving back hi linda okay 10 12.
0: 10, 12. so if you think you are standing firm be
1: careful that you don't fall. Yeah, isn't that good wor- warning for all of us? I mean, yeah. literally. Oh, I'm I'm do- I'm in tight with God today. Yeah, that's as- <laughs> sure as you say that something's going to happen that's going to prove it's not true. There's no reason at all to assume that Paul is speaking about a loss of salvation here. None, because I've had people email that particular verse to me. Okay, he has been using lessons from the Exodus and the wilderness wanderings to show that the people lacked faith in God's continued hand of support for them. They failed to trust that what he started, he would also see to its completion. They had Moses to lead them, and yet they failed to trust him. They had the cloud and the pillar of fire there as a display of God's glory, and they failed to acknowledge that he was there with them. When they became needful, they were given manna, water, and quail, and yet they failed to trust that God would continue to meet their needs as time passed. They had seen the destructions of the armies of Egypt, and yet they feared going in to possess the land of Canaan. On and on it went, a lack of faith leading to times of judgment. Even Moses, because of his actions, was excluded from entering the land of promise. These people with the evidence right before their eyes fell into disbelief time and time again. Paul admonishes us to be more stout and steadfast in our faith and practice. We have the truth that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. We have the complete Bible given to us for our instruction and growth. We have promises in the word which show us that even death cannot separate us from the love of God which is found in Christ Jesus. And yet we allow our faith to become weakened through temptation, through privation, and through neglect of meditating on his word. At these times, we aren't going to lose our salvation. We have been forgiven, past tense. We have been sealed with the Holy Spirit, past tense. We are seated with Christ in the heavenly places, done deal. These things are told to us to remind us of this and to keep us from falling. And yet from time to time, we hear of a great preacher, teacher, or Christian professor falling into sin, maybe adultery. We see people neurotically worrying about whether they will be raptured along with the rest of the church because they failed to cross a T or dot an I. Likewise, people come to Christ but never grow in the knowledge of the word and they flounder about in a state of theological confusion. Others forget that they have been saved at all. That's found in 2 Peter 1 verse 9. We are asked to not only ensure our salvation, but calling out to Christ for his unmerited favor by calling out, but to walk in our salvation, getting ever closer to him. If we do this, we will be firm and fixed upon the rock and filled with the water of life in those times when difficulties arise. Life application in the morning, read your Bible and think on Christ. During the day, meditate on the word and think on Christ. In the evening, pick up your Bible and read it again and think on Christ. Be firm, fast, and secure in your walk with Christ. And you won't fall.
2: Elijah had a big victory.
1: Elijah had a big victory, and
2: then he tears out because
1: because a woman threatened said, I'm him.
2: I'm gonna get your hide. That's
1: right. But, he you know, he had his moment of weakness.
2: He, he, he was even asked to die. I'm, I'm, I'm over here.
1: Yeah, absolutely. One woman. Yeah. He had 450 prophets of all. He beat them all. He had the Lord consume the altar after what it was uh, doused in water six times, I think. It filled up even the three
0: uh,
1: or three times, three yeah. times it filled up everything, and the Lord consumed it on the altar. And then one lady comes and says, "I'm going to get you," and he runs away. Well, that's right. There were 450 of the ball and uh, Asherah. No, wasn't yeah. no, whoever it was. Yeah. Anyway, I'm not thinking right now. But you're right. But he got scared and he ran away. There you go. Ten thirteen.
0: No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. No. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out that you can stand up under
1: it. Okay. This one says instead of uh, what yours said, it says no temptation has overtaken you. So a little stronger wording, but the rest of it's basically the same. In the preceding verse, Paul gave those at Corinth a warning when he said, Therefore... Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Now he gives them a note of upbuilding and encouragement. Then the temptations that they faced in seeking divisions or facing divisions I'm sorry facing decisions concerning eating or not eating certain foods, etc are regular temptations that are common to man. In other words, they are part of the human experience, just like the temptations of those in the wilderness. There was nothing supernatural about their temptations, and they could have resisted rebelling, but instead they lacked faith in God's provision and fell into weakness. Those at Corinth were following the same human pattern, but they had the power to prevail if they so chose. They had the truth of the gospel, and they possessed the knowledge that God is faithful. From those Old Testament passages, they saw that God never abandoned his people, even if they may have thought that he did. The Corinthians had the surer foundation, which is the word of God to look into and see this. As a further encouragement, Paul instructs them with the happy thought that God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. God is not in the business of causing his people to fall. You hear that a lot when bad things happen in people's lives. Why did God do this to me? rather he has placed us in the stream of humanity and our experiences are those which humans can and should expect in those experiences temptations are a natural part of what occur this was seen in the garden of eden this was seen at the time of joseph and potiphar's wife and it was seen when david saw the beautiful Bathsheba and he desired her these and other examples show us that some failed and some prevailed When Joshua and Caleb set out with the other spies to investigate the land of Canaan, they held fast to their faith in the Lord while the other ten weakened. It was a common human experience and each had the ability to stand fast in their convictions or to waffle in them. As a continuation of his encouraging words, Paul then tells those in Corinth and thus us that with whatever temptation we face, we will also, God will also make the way of escape. That you may be able to bear it. As noted above, God is not in the business of trapping us in our weakness. Because we are humans and share what is common to humanity, then the weaknesses we face are merely human weaknesses and thus can be overcome even from a human perspective. With the sure word of God and the sealing of the Holy Spirit, how much stronger should we be in the face of these things? There is never a scenario that we will face where defeat is inevitable. Rather, when we are pulled away by our own lusts, we voluntarily give way to sin. This is why it is so important to follow the three avenues of spiritual strengthening that we have available at all times. One, prayer, praying to God. We can simply talk to him about our needs continuously. Every moment can be a moment of prayer if it is a conversation with him. Two, knowing the Bible. If we read and apply the Bible to our lives, we will have the sure foundation on which we can stand when temptations arise. We can draw from the well and be reinvigorated with the lessons it has for us. Kyle was here on Sunday. I was so happy to see that. He's busy. He's he's a busy guy. He He would like to be here more, but I was so happy, man. I gave him a big hug, and it was just so good to see him because number three. Camaraderie. camaraderie fellowshipping with other believers in our weaknesses we can be strengthened and encouraged through communion with others they can provide us the pat on the back that we need and they can often give us additional perspectives into the Word of God that we may have missed man I love watching other people I don't get a lot of chance to do it but if I see a sermon or somebody talking about the Bible usually I'll click on YouTube a five minute video before he while well, he goes cooking and I'll watch it like we did last night And you'll get some insight that you hadn't thought of. We can't pack it all into our head and we all think differently and somebody will have something in their head that they will put out and you'll say, man, wasn't that wise? Wasn't that interesting? And then you can assimilate that in you and you can use it sometime in the future when you're talking to somebody else. So life application. Pray without ceasing. Read and meditate upon God's word and fellowship with other believers. In doing these three things, you will be strengthened and built up in your faith and in your walk with God. Ten fourteen.
0: Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry.
1: Flee. Where is that written? The Joseph run. Well, that's true. He was actually fleeing from a woman. But yeah. where, where, where is where is the last words of an epistle that say basically the same thing? Let me take yeah, you there.
2: First,
1: first John. First John. Little children, keep yourself from idols. Let me see here. Yeah, little children, keep yourself from idols. Amen. Well done. You get a Maserati this afternoon. Therefore, it's given to lead us to a summary thought concerning the previous words of instruction. In verses 1 through 5, Paul showed how the Israelites had actually partaken of the spiritual goodness of the Lord. The cloud and the sea, the spiritual food and the spiritual rock from which the water issued forth. These were there for the people and sustained them as they traveled. And yet, instead of clinging to that which gives life, they turned their backs on Christ and followed a different path. In verses 6 through 10, we were shown that some fell into idolatry, some into sexual immorality, some into tempting Christ through their speaking out against him as if he were incapable of properly providing for them. And some merely complained about their circumstances instead of being grateful for his provision. Paul showed that their lives were given as examples for us to learn from. He also instructed us that we should take heed of these things because we all share in humanity and are susceptible to falling as they did. But in a note of encouragement, he said that God will always provide a way out when we are tempted. This is where his thoughts have led to, and they bear directly on his previous discussion about foods sacrificed to idols, which was seen in chapter 8 nothing is diverted from we're still on the same topic even though we've forgotten about that two chapters ago eating foods is a neutral matter even food sacrifice to idols because idols are nothing in all the world that's right they're worthless however idolatry is harmful and sinful it is also tempting and destructive as his examples have shown idolatry leads to barriers between God and us and it destroys our intimate fellowship with him Therefore, we shouldn't see how close we can get to it without ever going over the line. Instead, we should turn our backs to it and run from it. The Apostle John has the same word of admonition. Oh, here it is right here. As the final thought of his first epistle, he closes the letter with little children. Keep yourself from idols. Amen. You know, I was listening to my old pastor, Pastor Ross at the Baptist Church down the road years ago, and he was saying, you know, that was a no-drinking church, okay? So he would have said this anyway. But he said, if you've had a problem with alcohol in your life, why would you walk down the hall in the shopping store where all the wine and beer is to say, I can do it? He said, a stupid person would do that. You walk around the aisle altogether. Stay away from it. Then he's right. Why would you tempt yourself with whatever your temptation is, right? I have a problem with sexual immorality. I'm going to go out to the beach and sit and look at all the girls on the with the bikinis to see if I can handle it. Why would you do that? I have a problem with heroin. Oh, I'm going to go downtown and I'm going to watch people inject themselves to prove that I don't need that anymore. Just stay away from it. Stay away from it. Let somebody else witness to the guys that have the heroin problem. Or, if they come into church, you can talk to them, but you don't want to be there while they're going through their... You see what I'm saying? Right. Don't Test yourself because you will fall. We're all going to fall if we get ourselves close to the thing that we're weak at. Stay away from the things you're weak at. In spiritual matters, we are to remain in fellowship with God in ways which he has personally authorized, such as reading and studying his word, praising, worshiping, and praying to him and fellowshipping with other believers. In doing these things, we will be kept safe from the sins which can so easily beset us. Life application. An idol is not necessarily a piece of stone, wood, or metal that is set up to worship, but rather it is anything which replaces devotion to God in our hearts. Sex, money, overindulgence, and so on are things which tear— So your example of Joseph running from Potiphar's wife is well stated— are things which tear our hearts and minds away from the Lord. Let us continually walk with him and purposefully flee from idolatry.
0: 10:15 I speak to sensible people. judge for yourselves what I say.
1: Okay Paul has just written in the previous verse that we are to flee from idolatry. That was based on his words concerning what occurred during the wilderness wanderings of Israel. Through idolatry the people's hearts and actions were turned away from God and it resulted in punishment, death and destruction. Such lessons were recorded to keep us from falling into the same type of situation. Now he's going to spend the rest of chapter 10 explaining this from the perspective of the work of the Lord and how we are to relate to that. In his words of this verse, though, there may be a hint of irony attached. He says, I speak as to wise men. Saying this, he uses the same word, thronimus, that he used earlier in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 10. Which says, we are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. He very well may be using that previous statement to help them realize that they don't know everything and that their actions can have the most severe of consequences. If this is his intent, then it explains why he showed those Old Testament examples first. And so now to bolster their wisdom he tells them to judge for yourselves what I say life application the hand of Paul exudes wisdom partly because he was well educated in the things of God as a Pharisee before coming to Christ he was able to tie the symbolism of the Old Testament in with the reality of what Christ had done he was specifically chosen by the Lord to be his apostle to the Gentile Church and further He was filled with the spirit of God who led him in his writings in order to gain for us to gain this wisdom and not fall into error. Remember that it is the epistles of Paul which are intended to guide this Gentile led church until this dispensation ends. Susan Garrett, would you come here for a second? I need you. I need you. I need you to come here it is a test <laughs> it's a test to see how strong you are come here I need to see let me see your muscles here yeah they're fine <laughs> and one other thing they're they're already down there could just go down and grab them would you do that thank you uh, because they have failed to show up and so we need to we need to get those picked up it was supposed to be a surprise but now it's blown so anyway um 1016
0: Okay, with me Completely, completely. is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks that we uh, a participation in the blood of Christ and is not the bread that we break, a participation in the body of Christ.
1: Okay, this one's a little more formal. The cup of blessing which we bless is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break is it not the communion of the body of Christ. And you can see why he's bringing this in now, why all of a sudden in chapter 11, he gets right into the actual communion ordinances. So he's very methodically developing his uh, words here. Paul's previous words asked for us to flee from idolatry, and then he immediately asked us to judge his words. As to whether they truly were words of wisdom, he said to them, I speak as to wise men in this he is then asking us to use wisdom and grow in wisdom by reflecting on his words of instruction and so he begins with the cup of blessing which we bless three thoughts on what this may mean arise the first is that the cup is the means by which we receive a blessing in other words we are blessed as we partake of the cup the second is that the cup is a cup by which we bless the lord and the third is that the this is a hebraism a hebrew term which describes the cup scholars argue over which is intended by paul but in actuality all three ideas have merit the first is certainly true in one sense we have been blessed past tense through receiving christ but yet we are commanded to participate in the lord's supper as well paul will note this in the coming chapter The Lord surely looks with favor upon those who partake of this holy sacrament as he instructed us to do. I don't understand how churches can say, well, we do that once a year or they don't do it at all. It's a command right in the Lord's word. We're to do it. It's from the mouth of the Lord. And then it's repeated by Paul in the instruction in 1 Corinthians 11. How churches cannot get that. I don't understand, but they don't. Okay, so the second concept has merit also we offer our praise and thanks back to the lord when we are obedient to his directive our taking of the cup is an act of blessing toward him in this regard and finally the term the cup of blessing is comparable to what is mentioned in psalm 116 here's what it says there psalm 116 do i went too far 116 Verse 11. Oh, wait a minute. That's not what I want. Oh, verse 13. I will take up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. Oh, see, there it is right there. In this psalm, the term kos yeshuot, or the cup of salvation, is used. This actually then forms a pun on the name of Jesus, which is Yeshua. The cup of Yeshua was anticipated in the 116th psalm. In other words, I will take up the cup of Jesus and call upon the name of Jehovah. It is an Old Testament picture of the incarnation of Jehovah in the person of Jesus. Paul then is using the cup of blessing, or kos haberecha, as a Hebraism. The cup stands in regard to the state of blessing, just as the Psalms cup stood in regard to the state of salvation. It is this cup of blessing which we bless that Paul equates to the communion of the blood of Christ. This brings to remembrance the words of the Lord, which Paul will explain in the coming chapter, that the cup is his blood. But what does that exactly mean? Because he held a cup of wine in his hand when he said that, it is intended to mean that it is a picture of his death, not a literal nor a spiritual drinking of his blood. We did that last week. If you missed that study, go watch it. You'll understand this is not the Catholic way of looking at things paul confirms this in his words of chapter 11 when he says that in the meal you proclaim the lord's death till he comes it is a picture a picture of the suffering of the lord a remembrance of his work after this paul notes that the bread which we break is not the communion of the body of christ again this is a pictorial remembrance of the broken body of christ Jesus held the bread in his hands and said this is my body it is not his literal body nor is it a spiritual body instead it is a symbolic representation of his death and in that death we share the communion the Greek word for communion is koinonia it is a participation or a observed a participation or a fellowship in this wondrous act As Vincent's word study notes concerning the Passover observed by the Jewish people in relation to the Lord's Supper, he says, The Passover was celebrated by families, typifying an unbroken fellowship of those who formed one body, with the God who had passed by the blood-sprinkled doors. There is no reason to assume that we either literally eat the body of Christ, which is Catholic transubstantiation, nor that we somehow spiritually partake of the blood of christ become becoming sharers in his divine life as calvinist doctrine says when we call on christ we are sealed with the holy spirit and it is in that act that we share in his divine life the cup and the bread as noted by paul here are symbolic representations of that awesome position in which we stand and finally there is curiosity by many as to why Paul places the cup first in this verse instead of the bread first as in other p- verses it place it the most likely reason is that Paul took the extra time to deal with and explain the bread which is verse 17 and so he dispensed with the matter of the cup first people worry about these things there's always an explanation that's it I will take up the cup of salvation in my hand And I will call upon the name of the Lord. It is in the name of Jesus where I take my stand. It is in the name of, and in his name, I am attentive to God's word. For he is the very word of life, this I know. And in him alone can I live and grow. I will take up the cup of blessing in my hand. And in the name of Jesus, will I ever bless my God? It is in his name alone where I take my stand. And in him alone will I fellowship in the path I trod. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the chance to come into your presence today. And we thank you for this wonderful word which you have given us and the marvelous things that it teaches us as we seek it out, especially as we go into the Old Testament to understand the new and as we read the new to understand the old. That's one unified whole of a book of love given to us so that we can understand what you have done for us throughout the years of this world. And into the ages to come. Thank you for that, Lord. And Lord, we certainly thank you for Jim, who provided for the pizza tonight, and we ask that you put a big blessing upon his head in the week ahead, and uh, let him know that he is loved because of what he did, and uh, we'll have some good food because of it. And we ask that you bless that food, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Jim, the guy that made the uh, bowl here. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so we're going to go to break, and we'll say goodbye to the folks online. <laughs>